Thanks, Kobe. Thanks, Hannah. Whoop, I tripped on the carpet. Well, good morning. This is a lot better than just looking at a camera, just in case y'all were wondering. This is fantastic. I will still look at the camera for all of the, those that, that are at home, but uh, it's good to be here with you guys today. It's also weird hearing my voice through the PA system now. With less people, it just sounds different, but we're going to work through that. All right. So um, this morning, our text, we're going to look at, uh, and the text points to the benefit of living in community. I'm excited about what the Lord has for us today. Um, and, and as you guys are, are aware, it's incredibly irrelevant, uh, not irrelevant, relevant for us to talk about community because we've all been missing it so far, right? Um, as we begin to regather, we're painfully aware of how much we've missed being able to get together uh, with one another. And it's not just about being in the same place. It's about being able to, to be in someone's presence, right? To be completely focused on that person in that moment. Um, and, and sometimes you, you lose that when you're looking at a computer screen or, a, or your phone or a tablet or whatever. I do want to say, though, um, at the outset of this, that um, even though we want to get back together in small groups, it's not time yet, right? We're going to follow the... So as we're, as we're talking about living in community today, I know that this is going to kind of get our juices flowing, and get us ready to be back in those groups. But I want to remind you that what the Lord has spoken for us right now during COVID is the best way that we can love one another is by protecting each other. And so we're going to continue to follow the guidelines of the CDC and the state of Louisiana. And as they... Uh, we're looking at the medical data and say that it's time that we can begin to regather, then we'll do it at that point. But for now, we're going to continue to love each other and protect one another by uh, following those guidelines. So um, as, we, as we look and talk about living in community today, I want you to understand that that's not me saying it's a green light to go ahead and start meeting in. We still need to wait. Um, but I do believe that the Lord wants to use this time that we have to prepare our hearts and our spirits to really be able to, um, to understand right? The, the importance that community plays in our life. It's going to give us an opportunity. It's like when you see a steak cooking and your, your mouth is salivating and you can't wait to take that first bite, but you got to let it rest, right? We're in that rest period right now and we don't want to jump the gun because then all the blood will run out and it'll be bad. That was bad imagery. You get what I'm trying to say. See, I didn't write that down and I should have I should have just read what I wrote. <laughs> That's why I do this. All right, so it's my hope for, for those of us that are gathered here today and for those that are with us um, uh, on, their, on their computers, my hope is that, that we can feel and understand with freshness how much it matters that we live in community, and I look forward to that with great an anticipation, as I know you do as well. So as all this COVID stuff was happening, I, I, I've shared this with you guys before, I went through a lot of webinars, both on the business side, but also for the church, and the church ones were really interesting because a lot of what they were saying was that it was time to focus in on small groups, and it was really interesting to, to see that revelation happening from leadership um, in, in the churches that were hosting these webinars. And I didn't say anything in those meetings, but it was so uh, comforting for me to know that we already have a solid foundation in that, that this is not new information for us, that we have been living in community. And so in a lot of ways, we are, are in a much better place than a lot of the other churches are because we already had those tight-knit communities and we're able to lean into that virtually during this time in order to sustain one another and to, to keep our hearts and our minds motivated in the right direction. But my concern, though, is that, and we see this happen in a lot of other areas of life, is that we, we often take for granted what we have. And I don't know about you, but as I've kind of reflected on 
my ability to meet with my life group, I've realized that sometimes I did take that for granted. Um, you know, when, when somebody, we see this happen a lot of times when people discover grace for the first time, is they, they, they sense this freedom now that comes from knowing that I don't have to work to earn my salvation. And so rather than using that freedom as motivation to dive into Christ, they use that freedom for themselves. And they go and they chase all the things they want to chase because they, they feel this sense of freedom, but they're using that freedom in the wrong way. Uh, I also thought about, you know, this happens a lot of times with college freshmen uh, who had helicopter parents and they move off and they go to college and what do they do? They go crazy, right? Because for the first time, they don't have somebody on top of them. Often we, we take the things, the gifts that God has given us and we use them in the wrong way. And so my question for myself and for each of us this week is, have we taken for granted the incredible gift of community that God has given us? And even though we can't meet in our homes I want to ask that right now, are you taking for granted the opportunity that you have to be in community even though it's only virtually? Is that a priority in your life? Do you, do you um, make your life revolve around when that meeting is going to happen or is it a side thought that you will do if you have the option? In our passage today, the preacher uh, expounds on the blessing uh, that having companions brings us and how important it is that we have people in our lives. Let's read together Ecclesiastes 4, 7 through 12. It says this, again, I saw vanity under the sun. One person who has no other, either son or brother, yet there is no end to all his toil and his eyes are never satisfied with riches, so that he never asks, for whom am I toiling and depriving myself of pleasure? This also is vanity and an unhappy business. Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow, but, but woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. Again, if two lie together, they keep warm, but how can one keep warm alone? And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A threefold, threefold cord is not quickly broken. So this section that we're in today um, begins with the preacher kind of qualifying some of the things that he's previously said in this chapter, and I want to take a moment today to kind of sidebar, and I want us to review some of the things that the Lord has already spoken to us out of this passage. I spoke on this, this passage two weeks ago, and, and as we read that, I don't know about you, but, but my mind goes to a very specific place. I, like you, have a very heavy heart because of what has just happened in Minneapolis and a few weeks ago what happened in Georgia. And looking back at the beginning of this chapter is in, in understanding what the preacher is trying to say is going to help us to understand the message that he has for us today. And, and I'm hoping, my goal is, and what I feel like the Lord is telling us, that, that as we dive into this today, that we're going to understand that how we as the body of Christ should respond to the things that we say happening in the world. The first point that I made two weeks ago is that living in community allows us to see and respond to suffering and oppression in meaningful ways. If those things happen to people that we are close to, there is much more that we can do and say in that realm. We're going to talk about living in community today, and we can all agree that, that there is much suffering and oppression that's happening in our world. To live in community does not mean that we only think about the people that we're currently connected with. To be committed to community means that we are outward focused to those people that God would bring into our lives to join in that community. 
And we need to expand our idea of who is in our community and ask God, who is it that we're overlooking? In light of what's happening around the country, we need to take a serious look inward at ourselves, at our hearts. But also we need to look outward. If you haven't already, you need to ask God what your role is in what's going on in our country. We see systematic racism and we all live in it. Whether you're able to admit it or not, all of us have racist tendencies. They're in our heart. They're part of our culture. And we need to allow the Holy Spirit to reveal those things to us and work them out of us. I've thought about this a lot over the last five years since God has had us here. And, and I'll be honest, there, over time, those things seem less pressing and they kind of fade from the forefront of my mind. But God is, has reignited in me a passion to continue to grow personally. For me to allow the Holy Spirit to work in my heart and reveal the things that need to be purged out. If you guys haven't seen it, I would encourage you to, to go look at Michelle Palmer's Facebook or Twitter um, and read the blog that she published on Friday. I put the, the link on the screen and also in the notes today that are in the, life, in the Faith Life app. This article gives you a jumping off point for, for self-realization and, and then to allow God to use that to call you to action. Guys, it's God's desire for us to invest and to invest in and to learn to live in community with the men and the women and the children of this neighborhood right here where he's put us and look I, I know that there's a tremendous amount of work and it's hard to begin to to even qualify or quantify where we start but we need to ask God where we begin right here where he's put us I want you to, to understand that none of us in this church have earned the right to be heard by most of the people uh, in this neighborhood, and certainly not on a national or regional level. Listen, if God is telling you to post something or repost something on your social media, fantastic, do it. But we don't need to be misguided in thinking that if I repost something, that it's going to have a, a national effect, right? I don't think any of us are, are naive enough to think that. But we need to think about the things that we're doing and we're saying and how they can impact the people that God has within our sphere of influence, we have a position and a responsibility to usher change in the circles in which we are already living. God has given us the right to be heard with the people that are in our lives, those that we are in established relationships with. But until we are actually engaging our hearts and our minds into what's happening around us, we have nothing of value to add to the conversation. We're just a banging gong. We're more noise in something that's already clouded enough. The second point that I made two weeks ago was that we as a church have the opportunity and the responsibility to make this world better. It's our call as believers. I saw a quote this week that was attributed to Will Smith when he said, racism isn't getting worse, it's getting filmed. This is not a new problem. It's always existed. But because of technology, we are not able to turn a blind eye to it anymore like we used to be able to. Church, we can't change what's happening in Minneapolis or Georgia or anywhere outside of, of our realm of influence, right? But we can make a difference right here. We can make a difference with the people that God has put in our lives. We start here by allowing God to purge racism from our hearts and engage in meaningful relationships with the people that God has put in our lives. And that can be in this neighborhood or it can be outside where you work, where you go to school, where you spend your time. 
I want you to read with me again the first three verses of this chapter. And I want you to think about what's happening all over our country, what has been happening. I want you to feel this with me this morning. I want you to allow, the, I want you to ask God to engage your heart as we read this. And I want you to think about what's happening. In verses 1 through 3 of chapter 4, it says, Again, I saw all the oppressions that are done under the sun. And behold, the tears of the oppressed, and they had no one to comfort them. On the side of their oppressors, there was power, and there was no one to comfort them. And I thought the dead who are already dead more fortunate than the living who are still alive. But better than both is he who has not yet been and has not seen the evil deeds that are done under the sun. Listen, if what is happening doesn't break your heart, something's wrong. We live in a broken world that desperately needs God's love. I want you to listen. This is a post from a mother right here in our neighborhood. She said, raising three young black men is the hardest thing to do. You want to do everything within your power to assure they don't become a statistic or a victim of circumstance. As they are the most hated thing in the world, the black man. Today, I'm so proud that two of my three have received their diplomas this week. Two down, one more to go. My boys are on the right path and will continue to thrive in this world. Congratulations. That's a mama right here. As a father, I cannot imagine raising my boys to have to live daily with that kind of fear. Last week, Glenn preached on the next three verses of that chapter, and he talked about the motivation behind why we work and how important that is. The why is incredibly important. And as we talk through these passages today, I want you to understand that if if you hear me talk about taking action, it is not my intent to try and motivate you in any way. Any motivation needs to be initiated and sustained by the Holy Spirit, not by will. There is much work to be done, and we cannot ignore what's happening around us and call ourselves men and women that love God. I shared this passage when I shared Michelle's blog post because it was on my mind this week, and it was on my, my mind because Glenn used it in his sermon last week. It's 1 John 4, 7 through 12, and I want, you to, I want to read this again because I want us to realize the significance that it plays right now. It says, Dear friends, let us continue to love one another, for love comes from God. Anyone, loves, anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God, but anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. This is real love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. Dear friends, since God loved us that much, we surely ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love each other, God lives in us and his love is brought to full expression in us. Listen, we begin to make ripples in the oceans of racism by abiding in Christ and obeying what he says. I love the video that Glenn put out yesterday. Fruit happens not because we feel really motivated by a sermon and we work really hard. Fruit happens by us abiding in Christ and doing what he says. It is not optional that we love people. Scripture is very clear about that. 
Verse 8 is clear that in, in Ecclesiastes chapter 4 that we cannot turn our back on the image bearers of God and then say that we know and love Him. We cannot be God's love in a broken world if we are not loving all of the people in this world. Look at what John says in verse 20 of 1 John chapter 4. He says, if someone says, I love God, but hates a fellow believer, that person is a liar. For if we don't love people we can see, how can we love a God whom we cannot see? And he's given us this command, those who love God must also love their fellow believers. We are called to love. This, this passage, this moment in time for me brings, a, brings to mind the story of the Good Samaritan. And the question I'm asking myself and the question I'm asking you is, are we going to be the religious people that cross to the other side of the street because it is inconvenient and messy? Or will we be the ones that stop and we change our plans and we help? This may feel scary. It is for me. But it is who we are called to be. In verse 17 and 19 of that first John chapter 4, it says, By this love perfected, love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment, because as, because as he is so also we are in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, for fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. Scripture is very clear. So how do we practically move forward in loving one another? How do we love the people of this neighborhood? Ecclesiastes 4 tells us that we stand up for those who are oppressed and suffering. It tells us that the reason that we do that, that our motivation matters. And in verse 8 of Ecclesiastes 4, it tells us that we are to live and to work not for ourselves, but in order that we can share with others. Working with others in mind gives all of us joy. For you and for me, life is pretty easy. We make it our goal to live for others and to share life with them, and that makes life worth living. It's having others to share a life that gives it greater worth than if we did it alone. I watched this YouTube series that's put out by BuzzFeed Videos. It's called Worth It. I don't know if any of you guys have ever seen it before. If you haven't, here's the premise of the show. These two guys go out, they go to three different restaurants, and they try similar items at three drastically different price points. One's really cheap, one's middle ground, one's stupid expensive. They try these three dishes, and then at the end of the show, they sit down and they have a discussion about which one was worth the money at its given price point. And here's what you see in nearly every episode. The way they value those items, the way they find whether it's worth it, is not just on the taste. It's on the presentation. It's on the atmosphere. It's on the things that are happening around the food that they're eating. Taste is part of it. But it's the experience that makes it. And isn't it interesting that worth and value are not simply on the thing itself, but on the experience that happens around it? You want to know how you make great experiences? Is you do things with other people. I was thinking about this this week. Um, 
Bethany and I have been working, we've had a lot of projects that have been on our to-do list for years, but because of the way our life has been, we haven't been able to get to them. But this last week and the week before, we've been able to work not on our own on those projects, but to be able to work together. And I don't know if you guys know this about me, but I'm pretty hard-headed and I'm married to a redhead and sometimes that doesn't go well. But the Lord has blessed our relationship, especially in the last couple of years, and we've learned to communicate in ways that we never knew how to do before. And it was an incredible blessing to be able to work side by side on those projects together instead of us doing our separate things. Listen, there's a sense of satisfaction that we can never experience if we just do life on our own. Our lives will be better if we'll focus not on what we want, but what on other people need. We find joy in working for the benefit of other people. Last week, Glenn talked about how important our motivation for work is. And the reality is, is that we're hardwired to work. And some people may argue that point, but I think the way that some people define work is subjective, right? But we all strive and toil towards something. It's in our DNA. All of us are drawn to the things around us. And often, like Adam and Eve, we let the lie steal the joy of the truth. We chase the things that don't matter. Instead of focusing on and experiencing life together, we chase after desires of our selfish hearts. We trade what God has given us for what leaves us empty and wanting more. This, this verse 8 reference specifically, um, it, the, you know how the Bible has cross-references, references 1 John 2, 15-16. It says, Do not love this world nor the things it offers you, For when you love the world, you do not have the love of the Father in you. For the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see, and pride in our achievements and possessions. These are not from the Father, but are from this world. This is the same sentiment that we see the preacher communicating in verse 8. Read it with me again. One person who has no other, either son or brother, yet there is no end to all his toil. And his eyes are never satisfied with the riches. So that he never asks, for whom am I toiling and depriving myself of pleasure? This also is vanity and an unhappy business. We are so easily seduced by the things of this world and what it has to offer. We work and we strive to gain things that end. And then we die and it gets left here. How about instead we spend our lives building up the kingdom of God instead of building up our own kingdoms? We are seeing in real time just how upside down this world is. And as we read chapter 4 in Ecclesiastes, it's like the preacher is writing about what is going on right now. The preacher is trying to warn us and to help us to understand that if we focus our energy on gaining things for ourselves, we will not be satisfied. The preacher recommends instead that we live for and we serve one another. Listen, I know that that allowing the Holy Spirit to tear your heart open and reveal the nastiness in there is scary, but it's also the best thing for us. And that's where we ultimately find satisfaction and joy because the brokenness that's in us begins to be healed. You want to know how we change a culture consumed with racism and simultaneously experience joy and satisfaction with our lives? You love people like Christ loves them. 
You live in community with them and you share your life with them. Jesus taught the same thing that the preacher's teaching in Matthew 16, 24 through 26. Then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will, profit, what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? One of Glenn's points from last week is from this chapter that is that the American dream is vanity. And Jesus is telling us the same thing. If you chase the things of this world, it will be for nothing. And you're giving up what's best for what seems good. Look, we know this, right? This is not new information. This is not the first time we're hearing this. The problem is, is that we listen to the same lie that Adam and Eve did. That little whisper in our ear. We, we allow ourselves to be convinced that the things that this world has to offer are going to make us happy. We convince ourselves that instead of going into the hard places and doing life with people, that it will be easier and more satisfying to turn the other way. Our world chases with great passion what it wants, and it is broken. And if we follow the same patterns, we will be broken as well. Remember, church, how good it feels to serve one another. Think about how it feels when you do for someone what they cannot do for themselves. Think about how good it feels to accomplish something great with other people around you that have all worked hard towards that goal. This is the gift that we've been given is to know what it means, what it feels, and what it looks like to live in Christ-like community. And that's what we're called to share. When we focus on and live in community, we are showing one another in the world the love of Jesus. As followers of Jesus, we are supposed to love just like He loves. But we cannot do this alone. Point number two I want to make today is that Christ has called His entire church to love. Let's look on at verses 9 and 12 in Ecclesiastes 4, 9 through 12. Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has no, not another to lift him up. Again, if two lie together, they keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him, and a threefold cord is not quickly broken. Look, as I said earlier, we have been given the opportunity to earn the right to be heard in this neighborhood. And this is a God-sized task. And it cannot be accomplished by only a few. It requires the body of Christ, every man, every woman, every child, abiding and obeying the specific things that God is telling them to do. For the sake of clarity, I'm not talking about us being white saviors when I say we're going to go fix things. I don't think any of you would think that, but I think it needs to be said. I've been so encouraged by the, some of the things that I've seen our church post in response to what's just happened. I believe that many of you feel the same way that I do, that we need to respond. 
but we need to do that by following God and standing with the oppressed and the suffering. I'm talking about us doing life with other people. This is not going to be something that happens overnight. And I've said this in a very particular way today, and I want to say it again, is that we have the opportunity to earn the right to be heard. We don't have it yet with the people of this neighborhood, but we have the opportunity. When I talk about living in community, I'm talking about sharing life, meals, laughter, tears, scripture, the gospel, the things that we are already doing with one another. I'm talking about loving the people of this neighborhood like we love the people in our life groups. I believe that's where the Lord wants to see us. I'm talking about establishing and building relationships that foster life-changing discussions. I've said this before, but I want to say it again today. God did not call us to start a church on McKeithen Drive because there was a vacant building here. He called us here. He called us to start a church in the neighborhood that needs the gospel in Jesus-centered community. Now, there there are communities, there are neighborhoods all over the state of Louisiana that need that, but he called us to this one, this one. This is not a, a task that Bethany or Brittany or the Wednesday night volunteers can do on their own. And this is not a request for more people on Wednesday nights. If we need that, Bethany and Brittany will let you know. But that's not what I'm saying. I don't want you to hear that. What I'm saying is that our church as a whole is called to this neighborhood. The specific role that each of us will play, I don't have the answer for that. You need to ask the Lord. I want you to talk about in life group how God would use your group to begin loving this neighborhood as Christ loves it. How do we do life with them? How do we stand with them? I don't have the answers to those questions. But we need to talk about it. We need to ask the Lord. We need to pray. We need to spend some time abiding and obeying what God calls us to do. As we have read, as I have read and studied this book for the last few months, God has been incredibly clear. He has placed our people right here, okay? But unlike us, unlike the people in our neighborhood, they are oppressed and suffering simply because of the color of the skin, and we don't understand that. We can't. But they're our people because God has called us to them. Scripture is clear that we cannot simply look the other way. People's lives are at stake. And we have an opportunity. Have you ever thought about that as God makes a change in your heart, you have within you, because of the color of your skin, the ability to affect change in other people's lives around you that look just like you? Have you thought about that? God can do that. That's not us going out trying to do something. That's God working in us. And then out of that overflow, people's lives are changed around us. If we will abide, abide and obey, the fruit that will, will, that will happen will change the culture here in Alexandria, Louisiana. And that can start here if we will abide and obey. We're going to begin to know people and we're, gonna, we're, gonna, uh, and we're going to be the ones growing and changing as that happens. We're going to engage people in this community, in this neighborhood. But I want to be clear that the growth is going to happen here first before anything else could ever happen. Because we're not ready. I'm not ready. And you're not ready. The Lord needs to work in us, but we need to give Him the opportunity to do that. 
God's going to move us. He's going to mold us. He's going to change us. And it's going to be the best thing that's ever happened to us. Y'all, I, I am a different person than I was when I was in high school and college. And I thank the Lord for that. My heart is in a better place, but i got a long way to go. And all of us are like that. That change has been difficult, but it's been good. Listen, you guys know this about me, that whatever God tells me to do, I'm going to do it. And I believe the same to be true about you. I believe you wouldn't be here if you didn't believe that. But it's time. It is time for us to take action as the Spirit leads. And the only way we're going to know what He's saying is if we are putting in the time with Him. We cannot just say, yes, we abide and not abide. We can't say, I'm going to spend time with the Lord and then not spend time with the Lord and then wonder why things are no different. It's up to us individually. And then as we individually do that, the church, the body of Christ, can begin to be the body of Christ. Let's do this together. Can we do that? Let's love one another. Let's love the people that God has put in our lives. Let's suffer together. Let's laugh. Let's cry. Let's find joy and walk through life with the people that God has put around us. Let's pray. God, I am challenged by your, your word this morning. Father, I ask that you would continue to, to work in my heart and in the hearts of the people of our church. God, that you would um, show us the things that are in us that need to change. God, I ask that you would begin to, to open doors for us to develop meaningful relationships with the people that you've called us to. Father, you would give us courage to, to move beyond the awkward moments, to be willing to be awkward with people because we don't understand. God, I ask that you would mold us and shape us to be a body of believers that stand with the oppressed, that suffer with those that are suffering, that we would not sit idly by as your people go through that. Father, help us to see all people as you see them, as image bearers, as sons and daughters, as heirs of the kingdom. Please, Jesus, do that in our lives. Amen.